Hello, thank you for joining us for the fourth episode of Recast, the podcast from Remit Consulting. In this episode, we'll be talking about last week's Freedom Day and its impact on the appetite to return to the office. We will also hear from Laura Andrews on how commercial rent collection is picking up and we'll be checking in on the billionaire space race. Hi there, Paddy. Thank you very much for joining me for another episode of Recast. You're very welcome, Kat. How are you? I'm pretty good, yeah. Um, so the question I've got to ask is, is how is your Freedom Day? Freedom Day. In truth, it doesn't feel and hasn't felt much different to me anyway. I'm not the sort of person that goes nightclubbing very often. You know, I still go to the pub. We're still getting service at the tables to a certain extent. I haven't been to any weddings Thankfully, I haven't been to any funerals, so I haven't noticed those differences. So how was your Freedom Day? Well, I've not actually had mine yet because living in Wales, restrictions don't change at all until the 7th of August. It's the same in Scotland and Northern Ireland as well, aren't they? Yeah, I think that's something that people quite often forget. Like People think that England is the whole UK. Um, and they forget about about all of all of the rest of us when they're thinking about the COVID restrictions. Yeah, apologies for that. <laughs> That's all right. I let you off this one. But let's let's talk about you know what has changed in in England. So obviously restrictions lifted on the nineteenth of July. The government's no longer telling people to work at home. There are no limits on how many people can meet. Face coverings are no longer required by law. Nightclubs can open. I saw quite a lot of that on my social media feeds. And obviously the limits on guests at weddings and funerals, limits on people attending conference uh, concerts and presumably conferences, theatres, sporting events are, are no longer in place. And the guidance recommending against travel to amber countries is also removed. But the, the amber country list seems to move around so... Need to keep an eye on that for anyone looking to travel because that list has changed quite a lot over the last few weeks and will probably continue to to change. There were a lot of rules in place and it's really, really exciting for the economy that things are getting going again. There are a couple that I wouldn't mind keeping even beyond the pandemic. Which ones are those? Come on. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I don't actually mind table service at the pub. It, I mean, my step count has been absolutely decimated. But other than that, like, I think it's quite nice that you don't actually have to leave a conversation to get your drink refilled. And I think I'd probably spend more money that way as well. I <laughs> would guess the other one you're quite keen on keeping is the distancing rule. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to not be allowed to hug my friends. But I also think that a meter is still quite close uh, to people that you don't know. And definitely traveling on the cheap has been more pleasant in the pandemic where people aren't allowed to sort of lean up against you at rush hour. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind keeping hold of that one. Yeah, I can see that. I think there's probably been some cultural change going on. I mean, when I've bumped into people that I know, even though the one meter rule has gone technically um, everyone is still keeping their distance it seems to me you know casual acquaintances bumping them into them in the street not literally bumping into them because we avoid <laughs> each other but you know when you when you see someone you know um, there's still the respect for that uh, social distance and I think that may be around for some time I yeah imagine 
imagine if the stereotype i know people always say the british are very good at queuing but imagine if we become good at standing a respectful distance away from people yeah i mean i think the fact that a lot of the shops have still got their stickers on the floor and they haven't all been removed yet mm. um, i'm sure some of them are being removed as i speak but you know those are still there and i think that will remain in the consciousness of us for a long time yeah, that's that's actually um, it's it'll be really interesting to see whether that all translates to offices. I know uh, Property Week published an article last week called Offices 2.0, looking at um, the BCO is is looking to revise its guidance on how much space should be allocated to each worker. Yeah, no, it was an interesting article. And they're talking about the guidance going from eight square meter to 10 square meter for each workspace. Uh, not including breakout space or amenity areas, which doesn't sound like an awful lot, but uh, if you've got an office with a few hundred people in it, an extra two square metres per person, per desk, is actually quite a lot. And I I can remember the days when we all had big desks, mainly to take the weight of these huge computers that were called personal computers. Um, and they, they were big desks, and we, we it was an era of little rabbit warrens of offices and solicitors and accountants were particularly bad for sort of uh, having this little office. You had to knock on the door to go and see them and all the rest of it. And then we moved to the open plan, and with the advancement of technology like Wi-Fi and all the rest of it and laptops and flexible working was, was a thing, you know, we needed less space and it was convenient and, and I guess financially sensible to reduce the area. But I think we're going to go back the other way. I can really see it coming. I was talking to a client a few weeks ago and they are doing some space planning and they had taken the decision that every desk that they were planning for would be, a, I think he said, an extra 20 or 30 centimetres wide. Which again doesn't sound very much, but if you do that over the width or the length of an office, it's actually quite a lot of space which is is being added. Well, and as as a person as well, like again, thirty centimeters doesn't sound an enormous amount, but actually, I was just thinking that's about the length of my my elbow. <laughs> like, it'd be really nice to be able to sit well as I have been at home, sort of sprawled out across a big desk. Yeah, exactly. Um, when we go back to the office. I, I think that's we're going to see a, a big shift in the way that we're using offices. I had some layout plans forwarded to me by another client the other day, a number of options for an empty empty office building. And, you know, the, it's been designed for hybrid working and it looks so different from what you would have expected five, ten years ago, five, ten months ago even, you know. Yeah. It's, it's I, going to be a big change. Because in property, we've we've all been talking about placemaking and and you know lovely customer experiences for years, and in that you know looking at making public spaces very enjoyable to be in, and I think maybe some of that hasn't quite translated to the office. Like it's not just about having a nice coffee machine. You you want you know people want to feel that they do feel at home in in their working environment and feel comfortable, and if you're crammed in to your eight square meter spot, I suppose that's not as nice as a 10 square meter spot. Exactly. I think, you know, going forward that work has got to be somewhere that you want to go to rather than enduring. You know, if you can create an office environment uh, or indeed any environment which is enjoyable to be in, you're going to encourage your staff to be there over and above those working environments which are cramped and poorly ventilated and all the rest of it. So I think... We're going to see a big change coming. Yeah, the, the era of de-densification, as Adam Branson for Property Week put it. 
it also the other thing that that will cause problems for though isn't it is the is the co-working i i have to say i've been amazed that co-working has remained so popular throughout the pandemic because actually my first thought when we initially locked down was that i wanted to know exactly you know if i was going into an office i wanted to know exactly where everyone had been and and you don't necessarily know that in a co-working space because you have different people from different organizations with different organizational policies on <laughs> yeah risk, risk risk tolerances yeah um right. so i i was amazed and and i can completely see the financial incentive for businesses but for for people for for your office workers that was a bit of a red flag for me so how has that changed for you then over the last 16 so months in terms of well i i'm so i'm currently living in wales so not not really going into london that much um, but when I am, I definitely feel quite comfortable in the co-working space. But I have been double vaccinated. Have the operators moved space or increased space between desks? I, I don't know because I haven't been into any. So from what I've seen, operators are enforcing social distancing and they are enforcing things like they've got sort of signs on seats to say, don't use this one. They've got more um, more cleaning and things like that. Yeah, they, they are definitely, there are one-way systems um, which are really useful and do make you feel a lot safer. Um, do you think that's going to work beyond where we are now, you know, Freedom Day and all the rest of it? It's, I can imagine for a few weeks that may be retained, but I think as things get back to some form of normality, those one-way systems, etc., may be uh, removed. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how that works. Yeah, it definitely will be interesting to see. And and especially whether flexible office providers, if they do have to change the way that they're set up or how their models work, whether they have to increase their prices um, to enable them to do that and in order to survive as businesses. Yeah, no, well, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. And, and that sort of brings us also to the appetite of occupiers to return to the office following and I'm going to do inverted commas now, Freedom Day. Um, obviously, <laughs> that doesn't translate well to a podcast, but trust me, I was doing inverted commas <laughs> with my fingers. Um, over the last couple of months or so, we've been doing the return study, for, um, looking at the number of members of staff and visitors entering offices on weekdays with data collected from the property managers and building managers uh, from their turnstiles in well over 150 major office buildings up and down the country and it was interesting that before Freedom Day that the average was national average was somewhere around about 10 10 and a half 11 percent and that had been that way for a number of weeks it went up and down but that was somewhere around the benchmark and it it will it be interesting over the next few weeks months to see how that number increases yes we we heard from Lorna on the last podcast didn't we about how how the return stats were collected and how it covers what we were saying before about how people don't necessarily realize that there are also Wales Scotland and Northern Ireland as part of the UK um and we're fortunate that return covers those areas so it gives us a real good geographical picture and a lot of um, a lot of room for comparison yeah and on freedom day itself I, i'm using the expression too much but it was it coincided with the bank holiday in scotland and uh lorna did a straw poll of a number of or all of the participants some of those who were on bank holiday and didn't reply but um they did a straw poll on the day to see what was happening and i 
unsurprisingly in my mind there wasn't a huge shift and I mean, it stayed fairly close it was also one of the hottest days of the year in in england so that's not entirely surprising either so when we last caught up with Lorna, we were still pretty locked down. Following that, it was announced that restrictions certain, definitely were going to be lifted in England on the 19th. So Paddy, I know you've re- more recently caught up with Lorna again uh, to find out about the return figures of the week that began with Freedom Day. So I'm joined by Lorna Landells from Remit Consulting, who has been doing the return figures for us over the last couple of months. Hello, Lorna. How are you? Hi there, I'm fine, thank you Paddy, how are you? Yes, I'm very well indeed. So, last week we had what is commonly known now as Freedom Day, when a lot of the restrictions were eased in England. I know you did a straw poll on Freedom Day itself, which, not surprisingly at all, showed there wasn't really much change in the number of people visiting the office. You've now got the figures for the whole of the week, could you just talk us through that? Sure. Um, I'd love to say it's really exciting, but actually (laughs) the freedom from what? I'm not sure. Certainly if we're talking about London specifically, there was not much of a difference in Freedom Day, Freedom Week to previous weeks. Um, I think the occupancy rate um, for the UK generally was about 11.5%, a slight rise of 0.4, 0.5%. But in London, it uh, not a lot happened. It stayed around the 10 to 11% mark. Slightly as before, higher in the West End than the city. And again, um, a bigger return to office on the Wednesday. Not much going on on the Monday or the Friday. But really, I'm talking about nothing much happened. Yeah. I mean, there are a number of factors which I guess uh, may have influenced that. As, as I said to Kat earlier, the... The Monday, the actual day of freedom, as they call it, uh, was one of the hottest days of the year. It was a very hot week. And I'm guessing, you know, particularly in London, would you want to get on a a sweaty tube and a a sweaty (laughs) bus and all the rest of it? Probably not. There was that and also school holidays. The private schools had already broken up. Um, So that made a big difference as well. So London does suffer from its transport issue in that, Unless you're going to cycle to work. And in that kind of weather, I don't know if anybody would have wanted to. Personally, yeah. I would have gone in for the air conditioning. But um, you'd have to suffer quite a lot to get there and get back. Nationally, um, I mean, clearly Freedom Day was only relevant to England on this occasion. Uh, what sort of patterns are we seeing elsewhere and across the country? Well, funnily enough, it's pretty much the same story, regardless of Freedom Day, which is why Freedom Day didn't have really any kind of impact because generally speaking the levels have remained the same around the country uh, we did have a couple of odd fluctuations in Scotland which is unusual considering their potential freedom day is likely to be in early to mid-August when Parliament next meets but um, by and large no change. Do you think we're, this is going to be the pattern for the summer because Clearly, there are summer holidays. People will yeah. want to go away or you know, staycations, whatever. Do you think this is going to be the same sort of level or do you think there may be some reason that it will creep up over the next few weeks? My my own v- feeling, based on everything that's happened so far, is that it's going to stay pretty static over the summer. But then, I think come September, things will begin to change because already, I'm sure everybody's noticed, there's already a different feeling around the place. I went to um, a restaurant last night and we dutifully turned up with masks on. 
but nobody inside was wearing masks and everyone was being quite relaxed about things. And I think that it'll be a creep towards normality rather than a great rush back to the office. Okay, well, we will keep an eye on it over the next few weeks. Thank you. Well, no, thank you very much indeed and and, uh, talk to you soon. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye. So that was Lorna talking to myself about the return project or return report. Um, and if anyone wants any more information on return, then they can visit the web page, which is return.remitconsulting.com. And of course, they can always listen to our last podcast. I have to say, I am really, really excited about the return data and how it's going to show us a picture as things continue to progress quickly because we've got those established base levels to compare against from collecting as early as May to really demonstrate how things have moved along. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be good. Now, the other piece of research, which is super duper relevant at the moment, is our remark research, which is looking at rent collection rates and has been ongoing throughout the pandemic. When we were recording the last podcast, we... We broke the news that the moratorium on rent collection has been extended. So that was on the 16th of June. Um, So these are the measures in place to protect commercial tenants from eviction. And the extension is until the 25th of March 2022. What this means is that landlords are expected to make allowances for ring-fenced rent arrears from the specific periods of closure during the pandemic and to share the financial impact with their tenants. The government is making clear that uh, when businesses are able to pay rent, they must do so. Uh, There have been legal cases where judgments have stated that the moratorium and the tenant and landlord code is not a charter for people who just elect not to pay rent. Back in March, on the very first episode of Recast, we spoke to Laura Andrews, who works on the Remark research, about how it came about and what the figures looked like then. And I know that last time when we broke the news of the moratorium extension, we did tease that we would try and get her back to have a chat about that. And I am very, very pleased to say that she has agreed to come back and talk to me and Paddy again. And we are going to quiz her a little bit on figures for the June quarter day plus 21 days, which have literally just been released. Hello, Laura. Hi, Kat. Hi, Paddy. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for coming back. You're the first guest to return to re- Recast, so that's a uh, rebooking, if you will. Ah, rebooking, <laughs> and uh, yeah, rebooking. Um, good to have you back. And you've recently published the figures for Remark concerning 21 days after the June quarter day. Can you tell us the latest news? What's been going on? What's happening in the market? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're quite pleased uh, with the results. It um, looks quite promising. Um, overall rent collection um, is 73.9%, which is the highest rent collection rate that we've had at 21 days past um, the quarter. Um, and that's since March 2020. Um, so that's great. Um, retail rents, we've seen marked improvements this quarter. Um, it's gone up um, to 69.6% at 21 days. And this compares to 57.8% collected in the previous quarter, which was the March 2021 quarter. So that's great. That's about around a 12% increase compared to the same point um, in March. Yeah. And what about leisure? Yeah, leisure's also um, doing well. It's increased from 40.1% at seven days uh, to 49.5% at 21 days past the quarter. Um, And compared to March... Uh, this was 38.4. So again, it's about a 10, 11% increase 
compared to the same point in the March quarter, um, which is great. Yeah, that is good news. I mean, c compared to last year, this time last year, Ju the June quarter was the worst quarter of all so far in the pandemic. I say so far, hopefully it won't return to those sort of levels, but June 2020 was particularly poor, wasn't it? I don't suppose yeah. you've got the figures to hand as to what they were. Yeah, absolutely. I can get those up for you. Um, so the um, overall uh, average rent collection at 21 days past the quarter, so exactly the same point um, as, as now, uh, was 59.2. Yeah. So again, that compares now to 73.9, um, which is um, a good increase. Um, yeah, massive difference. And I saw the, the graphs that you published the other day, and this quarter is by far... The, the best quarter of all of them so far isn't it in terms of what's going on and long may it can continue um, yeah absolutely and just to add on um, on that the leisure um, sector um, in June last year was at this point 21 days past the quarter was 33 percent and it's now 49.5 yeah. so uh, that's another great improvement as well gosh so presumably this is a lot to do with the easing of restrictions and the opening up of uh, general businesses and non-essential businesses opening up again a couple of months back. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, we've had um, non-essential retail open back up um, since April. So, and we've had sort of Freedom Day, um, things like that. So people are people have been vaccinated more. People are having a bit more confidence in going out um, and things. So, yeah, we're we're really seeing that in the the rent that's being collected but the 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 freedom day as they're calling it which is a phrase i absolutely hate but it's <laughs> um it's more to do with people in offices to be fair isn't it it's it's more those people who have to go to that kind of workplace um but the office sector was already doing pretty well wasn't it yeah the office sector has been the strongest sector um throughout the pandemic um which i guess is, is no surprise um although people have obviously been working at home um, a lot. The current figure for that rent collection is 89%, which is fairly um, similar to the same point in the previous quarter, which was 87.4. So yeah, it's, it's a How tiny bit, but it's it's relatively the same. Can I check, sorry if, if this is a, a rogue question for you, I don't know if you've got the figures to hand. Can I check, what? Do, how does that compare to normal? Because like, I know Remark, we collected a lot of data. We've been doing this every two years for the last 10 years or something. How, how does that compare to normal rates at 21 days? Yeah, absolutely. So to put that in context, um, obviously, like you say, Kat, we did, um, we've been running the Remark collection um, for quite a while now, um, and we did... Um, excuse me, a rent collection in 2019. It stands at around uh, 98% okay. at the 21-day mark. So it's still a fair way off what, you know, sort of normal pre-COVID levels. But compared to the last 18 months, yeah, it's really good. And um, also industrial um, is, is doing well as well. That's 85.6%. Um, Again, that's fairly consistent um, with the um, other collection rates that we've seen at 21 days past each quarter in the last 18 months. So again, it's a, it's a consistent sector and it's, it's still still quite strong. So one of the patterns that we've seen over the last, uh, let's say since March 2020, over the last 16 so months, is that there has been a plateauing at around about this 
point in the quarter where the collect the initial collection there's a bit of a drive it, it, it increases and then plateaus off I and mean, presumably we'll have to monitor what happens over the next few weeks and what what's the next uh, milestone for remark is it going to be 35 days again that you'll be repeating this exercise yeah so the next one is uh, 35 days um so in in a few weeks time like you say it tends to plateau off that's sort of um what we've seen in previous um years rent collections tends to plateau off and there are sort of marginal increases um between now and 90 days the end of the quarter although we have seen sort of you know sort of more steady increases um so we'll just have to see and wait what wait and see what happens really um we're not expecting any large sort of steep increases but we hope that it sort of it continues on this trajectory and we think that the 90-day um, collection rate for this quarter will be hopefully the highest that we've seen in the last 18 months. Well, that's good news indeed. Okay, well, Laura, thank you very much for coming on to talk to us again. Um, thank you for having me. That's all right, and thank you for bringing that, what appears to be some good news, some light at the end of the tunnel, maybe. Thank you so much for joining us, Laura. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. It's been good fun. Thank you. Uh, now, before you go, though, Laura, it's the time that we've come to at the end of the podcast for Cat's Cliché, that uh, tradition that is now an institution. So, Cat, <laughs> what is this month's Cat's Cliché? It, feel, it feels like a lot of pressure to have a bigger audience than normal on this recording, Paddy. Um, I, I hope I don't let you down, Laura. Um, so... We've been really inundated with space news about the billionaire space race in the last few weeks with Richard Branson and Jeffrey Bezos and their, their little space race and then their dispute over where space actually begins. And it reminded me of the good old management speak cliche, it's not rocket science, meaning that something is not that difficult. That's something you've got a bit of insight to, isn't it, Kat? Because your father is actually a rocket scientist. He is indeed. And I have spent, uh, I've, I've been living back at home since uh, March 2020. So had a lot of, lot of opportunity for conversations about space. Um, I wouldn't claim to be an expert, obviously. Uh, but we've had some, some conversations about the elements of how it all works. And something that's really struck me is that we, I hope you won't mind me saying this, we, we assume rocket science is, is really complicated, but at its core, it is really just identifying problems or possible problems that might crop up and then solving them. So it's kind of like management consultancy. Um, obviously, the, the very complex bit is the science and the engineering required to solve those problems. But at the base level, it is just, you know, spotting things before they crop up and fixing them. So, but one of the concepts that, that rocket science really values is the thing that they call redundancy, which is where, because there are so many really vital tasks to be carried out to make a spacecraft work, there has to always be an entirely se separate backup way of conducting each, so that if the intended technology fails, the, the rocket doesn't fail itself. So, for example, every computer system has to have a separate system which can do the same job. And if everything goes to plan, it is actually unnecessary or redundant. But it's there as a backup. It's there as a backup, exactly. Now, obviously, the term redundancy has quite different connotations in sort of earthly businesses. But I think the principle is still really valuable. A lot of modern consultancy and modern businesses focus on streamlining and removing duplication, which is, of course, good practice. But if you overdo this, you end up with significant key person risk and a lot of pressure on your business continuity. And we've got, you know, the pandemic and the pingdemic, as well as we're coming into holiday season. And I think one of the things that 
we realised in March 2020 is business continuity plans really came into their own. And part of that is thinking about how the really crucial tasks can be carried out if, if things go awry. So I think we should take this rocket science principle and apply it in our earthly doings. Thank you very much. No, Laura, score out of 10 for Cat's Cliche this month. <laughs> oh, 10, 10 out of 10, of course. No, thank you. That was, that was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. Always be thank prepared. <laughs> Have a plan. Thank you very much, Laura. I'll buy you a drink for that. Okay, take you up on that. <laughs> Well, on that note, I think we've come to the end of this podcast. Thank you both. Um, it's been very enjoyable. And yeah. look forward to the next one in a few weeks' time. And I will speak to you soon. Thank you very much, Paddy. And thank you, Laura. And thank you for listening to Recast. If you would like to, if you'd like more information on anything that's been mentioned in today's programme, there will be links attached. And um, as always, please feel free to tweet me your thoughts on things to discuss in future or your score out of 10 for my cliche. 